Good morning. We are reading together the whole of Luke chapter 4. So if you have a Bible with you, feel free to turn uh, to Luke chapter 4 with me, or the words will appear on the screen as I read them for us. Starts by saying, Jesus is tested in the wilderness. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will be all yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from there, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Jesus was rejected at Nazareth. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, and where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as it was his custom. He stood up and read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of the sight of the blind. To set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came up from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? They asked. Jesus said to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. You will tell me. Do hear in your hometown what you have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time, when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there when many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha, the prophet Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. 
All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, they drove him out of the town and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Jesus drives out an impure spirit. Then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath he taught the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. In the synagogue there was a blessed sorry there was a man possessed by a demon an impure spirit. He cried out of the top of his voice, "Go away. What do you want this Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know you are the holy one of God." Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them and came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to one another, what words these are. With authority and power, he gives orders to impure spirits and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. Jesus heals many. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying his hands on each one of them, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, you are the son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him. And when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns because this is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Thank you, Zoe. And let's pray together. Father God, we thank you and we praise you for your words. We thank you for the way that it encourages us, the way that it challenges us. And the way that it calls us to repentance as well. Lord, we pray that you'll give us ears to hear what you have to say to each and every one of us today. Give us ears to hear what you have to say to us collectively as a church as well. Lord, may we utter the words of Samuel this morning as we ponder over these things from Scripture where we say, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And in turn, may we see you move powerfully. In Jesus' name, Amen. I don't know what you're like at keeping in contact with people. I tend to be pretty rubbish at it, in all honesty. Myself and Gemma would have been married 15 years this coming June. And over the course of our marriage, we have led a fairly nomadic lifestyle. We've lived in several different places. Our first year of marriage sent us up to Preston in Lancashire, where Gemma was finishing her degree. Then we moved to London, followed by a move to Brixham, followed by a move to Honiton, followed by a move to Plymouth. And over the course of all of these different journeys and stops along the way, we've made several good friends. But the reality is that I don't keep in touch that vigorously with many people. 
Gemma is much better at it than me, and she is much more intentional about keeping in contact with people. But there's this thing, isn't there, in life at the moment where we feel like we're in contact with someone because of the social media accounts that we belong to. We look at things like Facebook and we see uh, posts about people's lives all across it and it makes us feel like there's still a connection and that we're still in touch with people. The reality is what we see when we look at social media is often the highlight reels of someone's life and we don't see the true picture, the whole picture of everything which is going on. I don't know if you can identify with this this morning at all with people in your particular life. But often when it comes to what we see on the internet, we just see snapshots. And in many respects, as we open up Luke chapter 4 together today, what we see are snapshots of Jesus' life and who he is and what he came to do. But what we don't see are the highlight reels of Jesus' ministry and the highlight reels of who he is. We see a full picture for just a few snapshots of who exactly this Jesus is and what he came to do. And what I want us to see today is that being spirit-filled can often lead us to uncomfortable places, often lead us to places that we never thought we would have to walk, often lead us to places of rejection, often lead us to places which are beyond that comfort zone that we spoke about a few weeks ago. But being open to the Spirit's leading and to his guiding in everyday, ordinary life, in every moment of our journeys, leads us to experiencing God like never before. I wonder if there's anyone who is watching this and with us this morning that needs a touch from Jesus today. I wonder if there's anyone who is watching this who needs to experience God again for themselves. Essentially, the overarching snapshot of this is Jesus is almighty. He is God, and it shows us exactly what he came to do. What we see following on from last week's sermon where John preached to us, looking at the Holy Spirit and how we're filled with the Holy Spirit, is that a Spirit-empowered Jesus walking, a Spirit-empowered walk, which meant that he ultimately was rejected, but because he was walking in the power of the Spirit, it meant that as a result, miracles followed him and what he did. What we see today for ourselves is Jesus in Capernaum. He just returned from the wilderness at the beginning of the passage. We see Jesus being tempted by Satan in the desert. And we see that when he returns from that, he returns in the power of the Spirit. And following on, from John's talk last week, we begin to see what the results of the having the Holy Spirit in our life actually means and the effects that the Holy Spirit has upon us in this particular chapter. Jesus was baptized, and at his baptism, Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, that's not to say the Holy Spirit wasn't with Jesus before that moment. Of course, the Holy Spirit was with Jesus before that moment, just like the Holy Spirit is with every believer at the point of conversion. We know that from looking at the story of the disciples. We read these words in John chapter 20 and verse 22. Peace be with you, Jesus said. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. 
So that's the conversion story there, if you like. But then we read these words in Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on their heads. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So at conversion, if you like, they receive the Holy Spirit. They become a child of God. The Spirit testifies with their spirit that they belong to God. But then we see this other encounter at Pentecost where effectively the Spirit receives them. And they become empowered to do the things that God wants them to do and live in the way that God calls them to live. Effectively, looking at Luke chapter 4, what we see are three things when it comes to Jesus' encounter with the Spirit here. He is filled in Luke chapter 3. He is led into the wilderness. And then he is empowered. And I find it fascinating that it's the Holy Spirit who leads Jesus into the wilderness. We have this picture, don't we, in our minds that often the Christian life should be a rosy life, it should be wonderful, it should be full of blessings, it should be full of joy, it should be full of ease, because after all, we're a child of God's. I mean, we may not say that out loud, but our actions often tell a different story, don't they? If you don't believe me, maybe look at how some of us, and I include myself in this, have reacted at times to the season that we find ourselves in right now with coronavirus. Suddenly a hard time hits, suddenly things become a bit rocky, and we're like, God, where on earth are you in the midst of this? I thought I was your child, I thought you were supposed to bless me, but things feel really, really difficult right now. And that's when we can have all kinds of thoughts and feelings and emotions about saying, forget it. I'm going to give up. This isn't worth it. You know, I was reading the story of Joseph this week, and I was really struck as I read the story of Joseph that Joseph gives one of his children a name which effectively means, God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. We don't often equate the Spirit of God leading us to places which might be uncomfortable. We don't often equate the Spirit of God taking us to a place where we might find it difficult, where we might suffer and have a really hard time. But Jesus had to be tempted in the wilderness. He had to go through this, and the Spirit therefore led him to this point. He had to go through this in order to show that he was truly human. We read in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 18 these words, "'Because he himself suffered when he was tempted,' He is able to help those who are tempted. Jesus was truly human. He went through all the things that we went through. So the Spirit had to lead Jesus into a place where he could show that. And as a result, be our help when we find ourselves in temptation. He was tempted, therefore, to be an example to us. We're called to walk as he walked. That when we face temptations, we can look to Jesus and see how he dealt with the temptations and therefore come through them in his power. He had to go through this time of temptation. The Spirit had to lead him into the wilderness in order to show that in the midst of our unfaithfulness, he is faithful. In the Garden of Eden, when Adam was tempted, what did he do? He bailed on God. He said, no, God, I'm going to go my own way. We're going to do things our own way, and this is how it is going to be. But then Jesus comes along, who the Bible describes as as the second Adam, and when he is tempted, just like Adam was tempted, he is proved 
faithful and therefore has the ability to be able to redeem mankind. Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit and then he was led by the Holy Spirit. And as a result of his obedience, he was empowered by the Holy Spirit. I wonder where God is leading you right now. Does it feel uncomfortable at the moment? Don't dismiss it just because it feels uneasy. But I want to encourage you today, in the tension, seek what God is trying to say to you. Just because it's uncomfortable doesn't mean God's not in it. In fact, who knows if it's the Holy Spirit who might be leading you into this place of uncomfortableness in order to produce a mature reaction in you in order to produce the fruit of the Spirit, which is going to help you overcome whatever might come your way in the future, which might help the ministry that God has for you in life. The next snapshot that we see of Jesus in this particular chapter is that the fact that after he comes out of the wilderness his fame begins to spread. And he goes and he teaches in the synagogue. And the first message that Jesus teaches in the synagogue comes from the book of Isaiah and chapter 61. And he says this, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. What an amazing moment this is. Because when Jesus preaches this message in the synagogue, it is literally being fulfilled in their sight. They're seeing scripture come to life like maybe no one else had done in that generation. You see, Jesus is the man who came to proclaim good news to the poor. Jesus is the man who came to set the captives free. Jesus is the man who came to bind up the brokenhearted. Where are you at today? Are you in need of some good news this morning? Are you lost? Are you broken? Are you hurting? Jesus is the answer. He is the one who gives hope to the hopeless. He is the one who gives help to the helpless. He is the one who can heal broken hearts today. Do you know him for yourself? The people listened to this message, however, and their response was the fact they marveled at his teaching, but then they were a little bit perplexed. Hang about. Don't we know this guy? Didn't our kids go to the same school as him? We know his father. He's that carpenter guy. And he has the audacity to come in here and preach like this? This isn't right. You know, prophets are without honor in their own town. In every walk of life, that is principally true. There have been several occasions in my ministry, whether that's been in youth ministry or as a pastor, where I can think of where I have begun to teach on something and I've said it time and time and time again to the congregation or to my youth group or whatever it would have been, and it appears like it's hitting a brick wall every time I preach. But then I get a guest speaker to come along who essentially says exactly the same as I've been saying for weeks and weeks and months and months, and people are like, wow, we've never heard this teaching before. This is new to us. This is amazing. Now, that might be because the way I was teaching it was pretty lousy. That might simply be that the people that have come and spoke on the same thing are just simply better teachers than me. Those could all be very plausible things. But the point is that familiarity often breeds contempt. The more you get to know a person, 
the less respect you might have for them. Because what happens is you begin to see the real them. And that can be particularly true for leaders in the church. There's a tendency, isn't there, at times, to put a leader on a pedestal. And our thoughts and our hopes and our ambitions and our dreams can so often be dashed when we get to see the real them. That's why so many times we see these mega pastors all over the world come crashing down. Because they're put on these pedestals as these amazing, amazing people. But the reality is they're just works in progress. They're just people like us. And then the flaws begin to be highlighted. And then the cracks begin to appear. And let me tell you today, we need to guard our hearts against that. Hang about with me for any length of time. And what you will realize very, very quickly is that I'm a work in progress. I mess up. I offend people. If I haven't offended you yet, don't worry. There is still time. I get things wrong and I sin. And you know, it's part of the complexity and the beauty of what is known as the church community. You see, that despite our flaws, despite our failures, that we recognize within each other that we are works in progress. And in the midst of that, we choose to honor one another. And I'm not talking about me here. I'm talking about everyone who is a brother and sister in Jesus Christ within the church. Because the moment we allow familiarity to breed contempt, we lose sight of that very fact that we're all works in progress. And we become in danger of missing what God wants to do and what God wants to say through his people. We need to see sin for what it is, however. And if someone is living an unrepentantly sinful lifestyle, that does need to be challenged. But I want to challenge you this morning. I wonder who you need to honour today, who maybe you have been scorning recently, either in public or behind their back. I wonder who you need to contact today to say, I am really grateful for who you are. I am really grateful for what God is doing in you. I see Jesus at work in you. I wonder who you need to encourage today who might have hurt you in recent days, weeks, and months. You see, the rejection that Jesus faces here, though, is not about some sort of familiarity that breeds contempt. Jesus was not a work in progress. Jesus was perfect, and yet he was still rejected. And Jesus said, no servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, if they rejected me, they're going to reject you also. You know, at times in our Christian walk, there will be times where we face hurt and heartache and rejection from people. But Jesus understands that. And the good news today is that he will never reject you. I may have told you this story before, but I've had a very complex relationship with my stepdad for a number of years. He was effectively my dad. And generally, if I ever talk about my dad, I'm referring to my stepdad. My real dad left home when I was four years old. And my stepdad came on the scene a year or two later and effectively raised me from that point. But after my mum died, we had a very complex relationship. You see, he blamed a God that he didn't believe in for the fact that my mum was no longer about. And the problem is, when you blame a God that you don't believe in, you can't see a God that you don't believe in, but you can see someone who works for the church. And to cut a long and painful story short, that anger over time that was towards God got transferred onto me. Every time we would meet up, he would say things like, how can you believe in a God who sends 
people to hell. He'd be asking me questions about where I thought my mum was. He'd be pressing me every time we met. And it got to a point where actually he just cut me out of his life. You know, I can remember one Christmas time, a couple of weeks before Christmas. It was my nan and granddad's 60th wedding anniversary. And we hadn't been in a room together for about four years up until this point. And this was a big do, and my whole family was there. And I have a big family on my mum's side, so there were a lot of people there. And my stepdad walked in. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to be the bigger man here. I'm going to go up to him, and I'm going to just say hello to him and ask him how he's doing and, and hopefully begin to try to build some bridges from here on in. So that's exactly what I did. I, I mustered up all my strength and all my courage, and I walked up to him, and I said, hello, how are you? And he looked right through me and walked away. At that point, I wanted to burst into tears. I didn't. I held it together. But I understood a little bit about rejection for Jesus at that point. And you know, as Christians, sometimes we have to choose the narrow path. Sometimes following Jesus means taking up the way of the cross. That no matter what comes our way, no matter how hard it might feel, We have someone who walks closer to us than a brother and can help us through it. My relationship with my stepdad is still complex, but by the grace of God, things have got a little bit better in the last couple of years. There was another occasion where I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, Luke, I want you to go and knock on his door, and I want you to tell him that you're really grateful for the way that he brought you up as a child. And I was bricking myself at this point, but I did it when I was in Portsmouth. And from that point, something begun to break. It's still not right. And I'm praying one day that we'll be sitting around the table enjoying a beer together once again. But sometimes the Holy Spirit leads you to uncomfortable places in order to mature your faith, in order to mature your walk with him. And as a result, he has the ability to use you like never before. In the first snapshot that we see in this particular passage together today, we see snapshots of who Jesus is. We see snapshots of how he is filled with the Holy Spirit and therefore empowered to live the life that God calls him to live. The second snapshots that we see in this particular passage are probably the most distinctive aspect of Jesus' entire ministry. We see his miracles. These are the first recorded miracles in the Gospel of Luke. So it leads us to ask the question this morning, what exactly are miracles? What are their purpose? And do they still happen today? What are miracles? The dictionary definition of miracles is an unusual or mysterious event that is thought to have been caused by a God or any very surprising or unexpected event. Miracles serve a number of purposes in the Bible. And the miracles of Jesus highlight, again, just who he is. Firstly, miracles are real events which prove Jesus' authority. When Jesus performs miracles, the overwhelming response from people is a response of amazement and a response of awe. It made people ask the question, who is this man? When Jesus for example, commanded the storms to cease. I'm sure you know the story. Jesus and his disciples were in a boat one day. Jesus falls asleep at the back of the boat and the winds and the waves come up and they start battering the boat. And these experienced fishermen all of a sudden start to think to themselves, we're going to die. So they wake Jesus up and Jesus simply walks to the front of the boat and he holds out his hand and he says, be still. 
and the wind and the waves died down. That moment, Jesus shows that he has authority over the wind and the waves. And people become scared and they ask the question, who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? No one is able to control the elements like Jesus. I mean, have you ever tried it for yourself, I wonder? I mean, like even on a small scale, have you ever had a bath and you've kind of sat in the bath and you've kind of done a little wiggle and then the, the water has started to come like waves? I'm sure you know what I'm talking about and don't pretend like you don't. And if you really don't, try it tonight when you're in the bath. Just kind of wiggle a little bit and the waves will start going and then tell the waves to be still in your bath. I can guarantee you won't have any power to do it. At all. But Jesus, in this moment, is able to calm the wind and the storms and the waves. His miracles prove his authority. Jesus had authority over the elements. He has authority over sickness. He has authority over demons. Jesus even has authority over the dead. Secondly, miracles are an audio-visual of a deeper reality. Jesus didn't just perform miracles to make people go, wow, who is this? He wasn't some sort of magician which was pulling rabbits out of a hat just to get a bit of a reaction from the crowd. No, Jesus' miracles always had a purpose. For example, Luke chapter 5, and I don't want to spoil the surprise for you for next week, but what we see in Luke chapter 5 uh, are four fishermen who have this miraculous catch of fish. And Jesus immediately uses this picture to say, hey guys, guess what? You're not going to just be fishermen anymore. You're going to be fishers of men. Ultimately, miracles highlight something of God's kingdom, that this world is not as God intended it to be. But Jesus has come so that everything could be restored and things could be put back to as they were rightfully meant to be at the end of time. Miracles give us hope that one day everything will be made right. Miracles also give us an insight that there is a spiritual battle going on right now. We read these words in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12. For we do not fight against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. What miracles do, especially those miracles which involve the demonic forces, is it kind of gives us a little bit of a peek behind the curtain, that there is this spiritual war going on. And with those observations in mind, we look at the snapshots here in Luke chapter 4, and Jesus tackles disease and he tackles demons. The demonic are mentioned 23 times in the book of Luke. Most of them are mentioned here in this chapter and in Luke chapter 9. And this is the second time that Jesus has dealt with the forces of evil in this gospel. At the beginning of the chapter, he was tempted by Satan and he prevailed. Here, he faces the demonic forces again. And the man who is possessed starts yelling at the top of his voice. Now, my expectation is that if an evil spirit wants to discredit Jesus and who he is, if he had any sense, he would be yelling in a kind of Donald Trump-esque way, don't follow this man, he's a fraud, it's fake news, get away from him. He doesn't know what he is talking about. But that's not what the demons do here, is it? They shout, I know you're going to destroy us. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. This isn't an isolated case either. In fact, on many occasions when Jesus encountered the, the demonic, there was always a similar outburst. Why? Well, 
looking at through the lens of what we've been discussing about miracles, it was because the demons really realized who Jesus was and that they were confronted by a higher power. They understood that Jesus had authority and ultimately they realized that their days were numbered. This was not a cosmic battle that they could win. There will come a day where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus always wins. However tough life gets, Jesus wins. Whatever we go through, Jesus wins. And therefore, our challenge is to cling to the cross of Jesus Christ, knowing that the kingdom of God is at hand, that things in this world aren't as God intends them to be, but he will make all things right. And the miracles that we see written in scripture prove this to us. The second miracle snapshot is Jesus healing Simon's mother-in-law. Simon's mother-in-law has this fever, and there were three kinds of fever which were prevalent in this day. None of them were COVID-19. There was the Malta fever, which was characterized by weakness, and it was characterized by wasting away, and it usually ended in death. There was a fever which was similar to typhoid, and then there was malaria. And when Luke speaks about a fever here in Luke chapter 4, he talks about a high fever, which probably means this is going to end in death. This was serious for Simon's mother-in-law. And Jesus simply touches the woman, and she's healed. But not only is she healed, she is transformed. And we read that she immediately rose up and began to serve him. Her priorities had totally and utterly changed. She was effectively dead, and now Jesus had come, and he'd made her alive. The things which maybe once mattered to her now pale into insignificance, because Jesus had made a difference. I wonder if he's made that difference in your life, church, today. I wonder if you know Jesus in this way. There is a difference between knowing Jesus and simply knowing about Jesus. And we need to distinguish between the two, just like, you know, you could know everything about the Queen, couldn't you? You could know what she likes for breakfast, you could know what her favourite TV programme was, you could know when she gets up and when she goes to bed, you could... Uh, know every single detail about her life, but the reality is if you were ever to meet her, someone would still have to introduce you to her and say, hey, I'd like you to meet the queen. Queen, will you meet this person? You can know all the facts without knowing the person, Jesus Christ. You can come to church your entire life and never really truly bow the knee to King Jesus. And today I want to challenge you this morning and say, don't leave it any longer. If you don't know Jesus for yourself, don't let the embarrassment of what other people might think about you because you've been attached to a church your entire life, but never come to know him, get in the way of saying, Jesus, will you come into my life? Coming back to the miracles, in this day and age, people look at the Bible and they look at the miracles which are written in the Bible and they say, well, they couldn't really have happened. They didn't really happen. How could they have happened? They must have been all tricks. Where is the proof? And I want to suggest this morning that the proof that the miracles happened is in the resurrection. Jesus rising from the dead is probably the greatest miracle of all. He was publicly executed in front of hundreds of people. He had a spear thrust in his side and blood and water poured out. Jesus was as dead as dead can be. His disciples were distraught and they put his body in a tomb. But then they saw him resurrected, as did hundreds and hundreds of people. And those events ultimately transformed them. 
the Holy Spirit came upon them and filled them, and they were willing to lay down their lives on the fact that they had seen Jesus rise from the dead. You don't lay down your life for a fairy tale or a fantasy. You lay down your life for fact. And because they saw the fact of the miracle of the resurrection, they gave everything. Did Jesus' miracles happen? Yes, they did. Does Jesus still perform miracles today? Yes, he does. And you know what? As we worship in a minute, I'd love to pray for some miracles this morning. I wonder if you're watching this today and you're in need of a miracle in your life right now. Maybe you are sick right now and you need a touch from Jesus. Maybe you're far away from him right now and you need to be brought back to him. Maybe you have issues with your job right now and you need breakthrough. Uh, maybe you're struggling with an addiction in your life and you want to overcome it. I don't know what it is, but I believe in a God of miracles today church and I believe that God wants to meet us in a powerful way even though we're not in the same building I don't know what God will do when we pray but I do know that if we don't step out in faith we'll never find out Luke chapter 4 gives us a number of snapshots this morning into the life and the ministry of Jesus who he is and what he came to do a man the God man who came, was filled, was led, and was empowered by the Holy Spirit and calls us to a similar walk. A man who knew what it was like to be rejected and dishonoured and comforts us when we face the same. A man who proves his authority by what he does. He doesn't just talk the talk. He walks the walk and he wants to empower his people to do the same. I'm going to invite the band to come back up and then I'm going to pray. And then we're going to sing together. And I, I want to encourage you this morning to do what is probably quite a vulnerable thing. If you're in need of a miracle today in your life, in whatever way, shape or form that is, I'd encourage you to write it in the chat. Now, these are public chats and people can read them. That's why it's a vulnerable thing to do. And after we sing this song together, I want to pray for some miracles today. What is it you're in need of a touch from God for today? Let's be the church. Let's seek the face of God together. And let's pray into what God might want to do in us and through us at this time. The church of Jesus Christ has been led to an uncomfortable place, hasn't it? But in that uncomfortableness... God is on the throne. He is working and he knows what he's doing. How do we know that? Because we can look at the life of Jesus and we can have confidence that he'll come through for us. Let's pray, church. Father God, we want to thank you this morning for that glimpse of Jesus that we have seen together. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for how you filled Jesus, how you led him, how you empowered him. Lord Jesus, giver of life, king of kings, we thank you that you have authority over all, over the elements, over sickness, over death, over disease. And Holy Spirit, we pray for miracles among us today. We pray that as we pray and we seek your face together as the church, that over the course of the next few days, 
that we'll have testimonies coming out of our ears of the goodness of God and what you have done as a result of us stepping out in faith this morning. Help us to be vulnerable with one another, we pray. Help us to be the church today. And Holy Spirit, will you do the rest? Come, Lord Jesus, waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are.